We will be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 13, the entire chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. When you have it, please say amen. And it reads, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. May God bless the readers, hearers, and doers of his holy and divine word. Standing, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for our gathering today. Holy Spirit, as always. We need your power. We need your grace. As I stand this morning, I recognize the sacredness of this moment. And I realize, Lord, that I need your grace. I need your power. So empower me by your Holy Spirit that I may speak only that which is ordained of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you will bless and touch the ear of the listener, that this word will get down into their souls and be life-changing. Lord God, that that would bring forth fruit unto your glory. Because, Father God, we know the importance of love, but, Lord, help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And so, Lord, we welcome your presence right now in a fresh way. Take my mind, take my lips, take my mouth, take my hand, take my feet, take every aspect of me, and, Lord, use me for your glory. Consecrate me, Lord. And, Father God, we are anticipating you doing a marvelous work today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you may be seated in the Lord's presence. Uh, good morning once again. So good to see each and every one of you. Uh, for those who don't know, we have been in a series in recent weeks talking about love. And uh, in the first week, just for a quick review, uh, we talked about God's incredible love. Uh, we emphasized that there was nothing that could separate us from the love of God. You ought to say amen to that. Amen. amen. Secondly, we talked about loving one another. We had emphasized the reality that one cannot say they love God and don't love his brother or his sister. Amen. And so we know the importance. And last week, we even took it to a, a higher level. We talked about loving your enemies. And I didn't get a whole lot of smiles last week when I talked about that. But, but y'all who know your Bible, you know I was telling the truth. Amen. And so all of those are there on our website. If you want to get a hold of those, if you missed them last week, you can download them for your listening pleasure. And today I want to end our series on the subject of love is the greatest. Love is the greatest. One of the things that that troubles me or that concerns me is that sometimes that when we get into the mundane and the routine of things, 
that we sometimes miss the application of what we need to do as a people. My prayer is that our church, and this is what I pray for our church on a regular basis, that we would be a church of love. That when people think about Foundation Church, the first thing I want them to say is that, man, those people really know how to love each other. I want them to say that. I mean, and not that we don't want them to say we got a great kids ministry, we got a great worship team, and, and all of that is important. We need to keep growing in those areas. God is doing an amazing work in all of us. But we want to be known as a people of love. And I understand that church sometimes can be not an easy thing to do. It can be very complex at times, uh, having all of us experiencing different things in life. You know that it's not always easy to forge relationships and partnerships in order to do something that will bring glory and honor to God. But the one thing that will enable us to be able to accomplish that is that we have love and affection. Because how many know that love covers a multitude of sins? And, and there is sin. We all, even though we're saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost, we still have a propensity to fall off the wagon every now and then. We don't always do things the way that we should. We don't always relate as we should. And so conflict is inevitable in the church. I tell people all the time, it's amazing to me, but people come to church, and all of a sudden, the church is supposed to be a perfect place. The church is not a perfect place. Not a perfect place. The church is here to train us and equip us and make us what God wants us to be. But conflict in the life of a church is inevitable. The question is, how do you deal with the conflict? Which makes our love for each other that much more important. Because when we really love each other, that is the glue, that is the glue that holds us together. When, when sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so really gets on your nerve, the one thing that will hold you together or cause you to continue to persevere is the love that we have for, me, for each other. How many know it's not easy to walk away from love? It's not easy. It's very difficult to walk away from love. And so Jesus knew exactly what he was saying when he said, Father, I pray that they will be one. But he says in John 15 that the men would know you are my disciples because you love each other in spite of your differences, in spite of where you come from, in spite of your challenges, that you have love for each other. And so we want to be a church that continue to grow in this area. Paul, who prayed and he planted a bunch of churches and he was speaking to several churches in Philippians and Thessalonians and Ephesians. He said in Philippians 1.9, you can jot this down, he said, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. He says in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, may the Lord cause you to increase, everybody say increase, and abound in love for each other. Get that, for each other. There should be an increase of love in the house of God amongst each other. Ephesians 3.17 says this. Paul says, I pray that you would be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. How I many know this love thing is pretty important? And we, the church, ought to get that right. Can you say amen to that? Amen. If anybody want to know what love is, or what it really is, because there's a distortion. If you really think about it, I want you to track with me for a moment, and we'll get into our text. But if you really think about it, everything in society is rooted around this one concept. They're looking for love. Think about it in our, the movies, the television programs, uh, you know, uh, you know, activities that we do. Everything is, is, is kind of is built around this whole thing that they're seeking for love. They're seeking for love. And so we want to let people know who that love and what that love is. And it starts with us. Amen. Amen. Corinthian church. I want to talk about Corinthians. Uh, you read this text. They were a church that Paul had began. A church, as you well know, they were doomed to failure unless Paul had to address some of the issues that was in the life 
of the church. And we're talking about church people. We're talking about saved people. And so the, the church in Corinth had a whole host of issues that the Apostle Paul had to address. And I'll just name some of them, and you can write these down if you like. But Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, and I'll just read just a couple, I'll give you a couple of uh, ideas of what Paul was dealing with in the life of this particular church. They were boasting in men. You can find that in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21. They were taking sides. There were cliques in the church. There were divisions within the context of the life of the church. They were puffed up or walking in pride, even in wrongdoing. You'll find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when there was immorality in the church and Paul had to put them on notice. Paul said, you're puffed up. You're not dealing with this issue. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, they were taking one another to court. Can you believe that, Christians? Taking each other to court. Can't work out our differences. I mean, no, this is a church that has some issues. And look at the neighbor and say, thank God we ain't like that. I don't know of any lawsuits in the house. Amen. Um, they were insisting on their own way in eating meat that caused others to stumble. In other words, they had no regard for the, for the other person. They were acting rude or unseemly in ways not wearing the customary head coverings. You'll find that in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. They were insisting on their own way as they ate their meals at the Lord's Supper without any regard for others. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, they were jealous and envious as they compared their spiritual gift and thoughts that some were needed and others were not. In other words, the picture of the Corinthian church is not a pretty one. They had all kinds of issues and problems and divisions in the church. And so Paul takes his time to address all of these things. As we said in previous message, messages, that 1 Corinthians was really kind of a, a, of a rebuke by Paul, but, but it was one of love. Let me know that whenever we rebuke, we rebuke in love. Paul was letting the Corinthian church that he, he let them know that he loved them. But if you don't get this right, then we're not going to be able to do the thing that God called us to do. How many know if church is not done right, we have a negative effect out there? When the people see the house of God, when the people see that the church can't get along with each other, when the people see out there that we're envious of one another and we're not rejoicing with each other and, and we're, not, we're, we're not delighting in one another's success and we, we can't get along, how many know that's a bad witness? It's a bad witness. And, 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 and Paul was bringing this to the forefront. And so when Paul began to write 1 Corinthians 13, he wrote it on the heels of the backdrop of everything that I just said. A lot of times people like to divorce 1 Corinthians 13 from the context. Everybody say context. Context is important when, you, when it comes down to reading the Bible and making sure that we're getting it right. Amen? So the context then of 1 Corinthians chapter four, uh, 13 is dealing with the apostle, uh, apostle Paul is dealing with the issues in the church relating to the spiritual gifts. People were gifted. Uh, everybody here, you got some gift. Some of you are gifted in three, four, five, six, seven, eight different ways. But you are gifted. All of us have, if you're saved, you have some spiritual gift, something God wants to impart to you. Amen? Every one of us. But, and so the Corinthian church were operating in such a way that, that they weren't operating in love. And Paul was letting them know that whatever you do, you, it must be done in the spirit of love. And so the spiritual gift became the end all. It's like they had gifts and they had no regard for one another. I mean, they were, they were prophesying all out of order or prophet lying, however you want to say it. Uh, they had all kinds, they were speaking in tongues and they were just doing it all out of order. The church won't be edified. The church, Paul had, listen, Paul spent a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 dealing with the issue of speaking in tongues. Why? Not because Paul wasn't speaking in tongues. Paul spoke it. Paul said, I thank God that I do it more than all of you. But Paul's point was that there has to be, number one, some order, and everything that we do has to be for love, and it must be for the, build, for the building and the edification of one another. 
So everything we do in the church, everything, here's what we need to be filtering this through. That if what am I doing, is what I'm doing, is it edifying or building up my brother or my sister? See, when we come together, when we come together, when we share in our gifts, that's, see, when I come here and I come in to preach on Sunday morning, see, people say, well, Pastor, you get nervous. I don't get nervous. I really don't. You know why? Because I'm not about me. I'm seeking your edification. Amen. See, I'm coming here to serve you. So I don't have no time to think about me. I have no time to think about my emotions. I have no time to think about anything. But how can I serve these people? How can I build up these people? How can I be a blessing to the church? And so the Corinthians, man, they were gifted, man. They, they had prophets and people were just, uh, people were gifted in so many ways, but they just did it in a way that it was kind of like they were promoting themselves. It's all about me stepping on each other's toes. And, and, and Paul said, wait a minute, y'all missed the whole point of this thing. You missed the point. Where is the love? Where's the love? What, I mean, are you willing to divide? Or are you willing to go through all that? Do you not understand that I have gifted you for a purpose? And so Paul, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's look at verse, the first three verses. When you get there, you say, amen, you're probably already there. Listen to what Paul says here. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, watch this, I have become a sounding brass or a clinging cymbal. I'm just making a lot of noise, but it's not really helping the situation. I thought about bringing some guns and some cymbals and just whacking on them real loud. So I do that, and, you know, that would have run some of you out of here. We don't have too many people, so I didn't want to run out the few we have. But, but I figured that you get the point. That he said, if I have love, then you're just, you're, just, you're just a clinging cymbal, a sounding brass. You're just making a lot of noise, but it's going no place. And though I have the gift of prophecy, for those who are gifted in the prophetic, Paul said this, and you, if you can understand all the mysteries and have all knowledge, and you have faith so that you could remove mountains, but if you don't have love, Paul said, I am nothing. Now, what I like about this verse is Paul puts himself in this. Paul, Paul puts it in the first person because he's including himself. Because he's reminding himself that whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm doing, if love is not behind it, it doesn't mean anything. See, we can be arrogant in our spiritual gifts. We can be arrogant to the point where you just get it or you get it or you don't, then you don't, then it's just on you. I'm going to do what I got to do. That's how some people think. I'm just going to do this no matter what. But, 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 but we all, how many know love always make me think about how my actions going to affect one another? How many know that we're bound by that? We're bound. So, so we always have to think of how is, how is this going to affect Sister Peggy by me doing this? Now, a lot of times we don't want to think that, right? Because you know why? Because sometimes we want to do it our way. And we're determined that we're going to do it the way we want to do it, no matter what. And we don't want to be. But how many know when we come together, the church got to be edified. Everybody say the church. The church got to receive edification. So let's, let's, let's keep going in this. He said, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but not have love, it profits me, nada, nothing. So the Apostle Paul begins the process of giving characteristics of love. What are the characteristics? What does it? What does a church of love looks like? A people coming together. What do the people of God who are walking in love? What does that look like? When you say, when you hear us say, "Man, you got to walk in love." Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in love? So Paul was given context, and he's giving some things here, and then we want to kind of cover some of these. I think we'll try to cover all of them. We may not be able to cover all of them for time's sake. But we're going to, I want you, as we're listening, as we're going through this, what I'd like for you to do is, is, just, is just, just get the mirror and just be honest. Amen? Be honest with yourself. 
Be honest and say, listen, and if, it, if, it, if the Holy Spirit convict you, and he probably will because he convicted me, amen, then say, it's me, Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And let the Lord change you, amen? So, so, so here's what Paul says. Now watch. He says, now love, here, here are the attributes of Christian love as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, love, number one, love suffers long, or love is patient. One of the ways that you know you're walking in love is that you're patient with people. Amen? You're patient. Every, how do you know that everybody is not growing at the same? You know, it's amazing. Sometimes we, we older Christians, when I say older Christians, you know, who've been walking, seriously walking with the Lord for some number of years. The temptation we have sometimes is that when people first come into the kingdom, that, that we want them to change overnight. They got to change. They got to change quick, quicker. But how many know that there's a reason why the Lord said we need to be patient with one another? We need to be patient. Look at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read it, and you can catch up. If you can get it, get there. But see, you got your PDAs and your iPhones, so now you can move quicker, a lot quicker through the scripture. Ephesians 4, 2 says, be humble and be gentle, but be patient. Everybody say patient. patient. With one another. Watch this. Making allowance for each other's faults. Now, it seems like, like Paul is telegraphing something there, right? He said, making allowances for each other's faults. How many know that there's faults in the body? I mean, let me say that again. How many know there's faults in the body? So he says, he says, now, here's what we need to do. He says, we need to be patient with each other. In other words, instead of just losing it with brother and sister so-and-so, just say, well, you know, they're still growing. I'm just going to just have to pray for them and, and, just, and just, you know, just, just see them through it. But love suffers long. You know you're growing in love when you learn to be patient with people. And this transcends, let me tell you something, this goes beyond the four walls of our church. This is a lifestyle that we live a life where we're patient. Number two, he says love is kind. It means that we always are to be respectful and seeking the good of others. Amen? Amen. So you know you're growing in love when you're pleasant with people. Pleasant. There's another one in here that says love is not rude. How many know rude is not a Christian value? Love is not rude. If a person truly is walking in love, how many know they're considerate? Thank you. God bless you. I appreciate that. That's a Christian virtue. So love is not rude. The third or fourth one is love is not envious. Look at James chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. James chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. When you get there, you say amen. And I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. Love is not envious. For it says that for jealousy and selfishness, watch this, are not God's kind of wisdom. See, God doesn't have anything to do with with being envious and jealous of somebody else. Such things are what? Earthly, unspiritual, and motivated by the devil. For wherever there is jealousy, watch this, and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every kind of evil. How I many know if you're a Christian, you're not supposed to be walking in jealousy? Even if somebody, you know, and here's the thing, and if you're a person that struggles, everybody got to know yourselves, right? See, if you're a person that struggles with insecurity, insecurity is the vehicle toward jealousy. And people who are generally, they're insecure, they get jealous of other people. And that's a disposition, especially before you came to Christ. But how do you know that after Christ, you've, you've changed, right? But see, there's a propensity there that, that, that in our own nature to be jealous, especially, man, we've been believing God, and you, you think that you're supposed to have this, and instead of rejoicing with brothers and sisters so-and-so, we're like, well, why, do, why didn't I get that? How come they're being blessed? And, and, and we can't really rejoice with them. But I mean, know that what God has for you, nobody can take it. What God has, in, what God has for you, 
Nobody can take what he has for you. And so we need, listen to me, we don't walk in jealousy in no kind of way, but here's what we do. We, we just rejoice. If people get, listen, if people, the Bible says promotion comes not from the east or from the west, right? But promotion comes from the Lord. So I know that if I walk with God, God will take care of me. I know because no man is in control of my destiny. Do you hear me? No man, no woman, I don't care what your boss look like. He is not, he or she is not in control of your destiny. God is in control of your destiny. And so what God wants us to do is to be a people that walk in love. See, when I'm walking in love, I ain't jealous of you. And even, brother, if you've got something I've been believing God for, I can walk right up to you and say, man, God bless you. Good for you. And I'll walk right away saying, mine must be coming right around the corner. Amen. And listen, and, and, and you learn to rejoice with people. See, this is how you walk in the power of the Spirit. I mean, you want to walk in the power of the Spirit. See, when you walk in love, you walk in love, you're walking with God. And so here's what I do. And see, the world's way of thinking, man, they don't think that way, right? They don't think that way. But you are different because when you walk in love, you learn to appreciate. Say, God bless. Good, good, good. You got what? Hallelujah. Wow, look at that. And we prefer the other person, even above ourselves. Go for it. Especially in the body. You know what I'm talking about. In the body, we are supposed to prefer, which means that how many know we got to get our minds off of ourselves? Oh, that's tough, isn't it? Because everything in your life has been all built around you. And, and when you become a Christian, God spends a lifetime stripping you of you. Doesn't it? Am I right about it? Putting you up on that altar to the side. He said, I, I, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So you're constantly giving up yourself to become more like Christ. But this is good because everybody in here want to be more like Christ. I know you do. Say amen. amen. You want to be more like Christ. So we don't walk in jealousy. See, the Corinthian church, that's what was happening. People had spirit to get, but they were jealous. Well, well, you got this, you got that, and then they start competing on each other. They start, can you believe that? I mean, and Paul said, what are y'all doing to me? Man, I'm a Paul, you're of Apollos. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm more anointed than you. You ain't more anointed than nothing. You ain't, what are you more anointed? What are you acting like you did? You ain't did. God just blessed you because he decided to bless you. You ain't more anointed because you all of that. Come on, you are nothing without Christ. Everything we get, he gave it to you. So I can't walk up against my wife or, or Brother Jacob. He's more anointed. Well, more, not more anointed, but if he, he got some gift I don't have, then God bless him. He is who he is because God put it in him. And so my thing is, my, my thing is you know what? I'm just going to be who I am. We said last week that most people are originals, but they spend a lifetime trying to be copies. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm an original. Be you. Oh, oh, oh no, let me, let me just, be the holy you. <laughs> yeah, I, that's important to say that. Because some people want to stay in their flesh and say, that's just the way I am. No, you're just in the flesh. If you're, if you're not acting right, you need to, how many know we need to change and be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? So, so he says, another point, he says, watch this. He says, love does not parade itself and is not puffed up. It's not arrogant, right? We just talked about that. It's not arrogant. But listen, just in case, I'm going to give you some scripture reference. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, write this down. Paul asked the question, what makes you better than anyone else? What do you have that God hasn't given you? All, and if all you have is from God, why boast as though you have accomplished something on your own? Paul says, don't do it. It's not arrogant. How many know Christianity, we're walking in love, we're not arrogant. How many know that the, that the people of God ought to be approachable? Come on, somebody. We ought to be approachable. We're not arrogant people. Nobody should ever associate Christianity with being arrogant. Not in that way. No, we're not arrogant. We're not puffed up. We walk in humility because the Bible says God resists the problem. He gives grace to the who? So how many of you want grace? How many know that Jesus said, I saw Satan get booted out of heaven flat like lightning? Boom! You know why Satan was booted out? Because of his pride and his arrogance. And let me tell you something. You want to get on God's bad side real quick? Walk in just a little bit of pride. Pride comes before destruction and a, and a, and a, and a hardest rear before a fall. Thank you. Somebody helping me over there preach. 
So, so God hates pride. And so, and so it's, remember the context we talked about. So the Corinthian church, they're walking in this kind of a pride. Like, man, look what I got. I'm gifted. And they begin to just step on each other. And Paul says, y'all need to stop acting like, if you happen to be further along than somebody else, just thank God for it and help them get along and help them grow. Help them. Help them to be where you are. But don't look down at somebody else. We welcome all people, amen? It doesn't matter if you know a lot, you know a little bit, you're welcome in this house. Nobody is better than nobody. You hear me? Nobody, nobody, nobody here is better. You may, I don't care if you can sing better, look better, you are still nothing in the context of what we're talking about. You are something, but you understand what I'm saying? In the context of what we're saying and what we're preaching about. And so we walk, there's a certain degree of humility over the people of God. That man, brother, I'm blessed, man, I'm blessed. I just want to see you get where I am. I want to, in fact, I want to see you go further. How many know we need to be like that in the body? That we want to keep pushing each other up. You go, you go, you go. What are you doing? Great, go for it, go for it. But see, when you bless somebody else, God will bless you. You learn to be a blessing to somebody else, God will bless you. Love is not self-seeking. I said, that's a good one. Lord, see, love is not self-seeking. You see, we, we said earlier that everything about the Bible and everything about Christ had to do with this attitude of not trying to push myself up above others, but really just trying to seek what is in the benefit of others. Now, let me, let me help you with this because I want this to be a virtue. When you walk in love, you need to think this way any place you go, that you're always seeking the, the, the betterment of whatever situation you're in. If, if you work for a company, you want to do, you want to work in such a way because how many know you work for the man, you don't really work for the man in front of you, you work for the man up there. The Bible says, whatever we do, we do heartily as unto the Lord and not to men. And so I serve on, see, uh, see this is where you need to have a good testimony at, your, at work, see? See, you got to understand, I, talk, I talked to my son about this one time. I told him, he says, you know, he said he just want a job so he can make some money. I said, yeah, but if you approach a job like that and, and the person that's hiring you think that you think that way, they don't want, they're not going to hire you. You know why? Because they're thinking that all you are thinking about is yourself. Would you hire somebody for a company if all they thought about was how they can get ahead? They weren't thinking about what's in the best interest of the organization or what's in the best interest of people. So, so love, watch this, love forces me to think about what's in the best interest of other people. I'll put it this way. Let me help you. Jesus said this. Uh, Paul said this concerning Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, I believe, verse 7. He said, Jesus made of himself of no reputation. Um, but how many know Jesus had a reputation? I mean, thousands flocked to Jesus, right? I mean, hundreds. I mean, Jesus is well known. He has a big reputation. All of history talks about Jesus. And so somebody may be telling me, see, Pastor, there it is. You see, Jesus made, he had a reputation. No, no, no. If you go back and you read that verse, it said Jesus made of himself of no reputation. Uh, see, in other words, when Jesus came, Jesus, he, how many know he, he was anointed? And he's the only one that can say, I'm, I'm anointed. He's, he, he's anointed. He's God in flesh. 100% man, 100% God. He's God in flesh. So, so Jesus, when he did what he did, his thought process was, when he did miracles, everybody come see what I can do for the sake of me. Jesus said, I do nothing unless I see my father do it. Amen. So everything Jesus did was for to help and to bless people. Everything. Church, y'all got to hear this. This is, this is life-changing. That's the way we got to think. How many know if the church thought like that, boy, a church would get along so much better? If we thought like that. And so Jesus made of himself of no reputation. He came into an environment, and he just figured out ways to bless people. And because he blessed people, the Bible says God highly exalted him. Why did God exalt him? Because he had the right heart and he had the right attitude. How are you going to get exalted when you got the right heart and you got the right attitude? If you got a bad attitude, you will stay where you are. I've learned that. I'm just trying to help you. Because God is more interested in your character. <laughs> Y'all don't want to hear me preach. Y'all don't want this as more. God is more interested. So you don't want me to say, guess, God is more interested in your character. He's in the process of changing you, your attitude, the way you act, the way you respond to people. 
So Jesus made himself of no reputation, humbled himself to the point of death, died on the cross. The Bible says, now God highly exalted him. And when you walk like that, don't, don't be just worried about yourself. It's not that we don't think about our well-being, but how I many know it's, we, we got to get off of just us because what God is doing in your life is for, to reach the masses. Don't ever think that when God blesses you, he's not blessing you just for you. Most people get blessed more and they run with it. They take the goods and they run. Where they at? Jamaica. <laughs> Hawaii. I'm, done. I'm just yeah, yeah, it's okay to take somebody saying my pocket. No, take your vacation. I'm just saying. You understand what I'm saying? When God blesses you, he blesses you so that you can be a blessing to somebody else. See, when you start thinking that it's just about you, like when people say, man, I'm just going to walk. You know, God, God's going to bless me. I'm going to get mine today. You know, and, and, and I hear that, but something about that don't seem quite right with me. It just rubs me the wrong way. Because it, you got to understand that the God said to Abraham that I'm going to make you a blessing to be a blessing. Amen. God blessed Abraham so that all the families of the earth could be blessed. So God want to bless you so that other folk can be blessed. Amen. That's what it's all about. How do you know? That's called walking in love. Amen. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. Uh, we're almost done. He says, love is not easily provoked. Love is not easily provoked. Love is not quick-tempered. I know some of you say, well, I, I've always had a temper problem. Okay, well, you need to surrender that thing. Unto the Lord. Amen. You need, I mean, let me tell you something. Uh, God created every aspect of you. Uh, and, and if you walk, if you've got a, a, a temper issue, and then, then you, and see, if you're a person that people have to handle with, king, with kids' gloves, how many know that that's, a, that's not a good thing? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, if you're one of those people, the people when they talk to you, they got to deal with you with kids' gloves because they don't know if you're going to fly off. I don't know, man. They, 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 they get mad. Really, I mean, when you walk in love, you don't get mad like that. When you walk in love, man, see, you, you control those emotions. You, you're not easily provoked. People can't just suck you into stuff. I hear people say, man, they, just, they made me lose it. Nobody make you lose it. You lost it because you lost self-control. That's the truth. I know y'all don't want to hear that this morning. But when you get mad... Look at the name and say, that's you. You get mad because you want to get mad, and nobody made you do that because he said, when you walk in love, you're not easily provoked. The Bible says that the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. So we need to be people that settle down. So if you give you one of those people that are prone to a bad temper, you first need to repent, and then you need to say, Lord, Lord, help me to get rid of this. Because I don't want to be known as an angry man or an angry woman. Amen? And then talking about I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. But yet you're mad all the time. I mean, there's something wrong with that picture. Somebody say something wrong with that. All right. So he says, keep no records of wrong or thinks no evil. Keeps no record. How many know God, aren't you glad God don't keep a record on everything you do wrong? My wife said, Mercy. I say mercy six, seven, ten. I can keep saying mercy, mercy, mercy till I get home. Thank God that he don't keep a record of our wrongs. When he said he forgave us, how do you know he forgave us? And God expects his church to be a forgiving people. I'm not getting a whole lot of amens right there. But God expects his, see, it says keeps no record of wrong. See, 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 one thing, you know, when you're walking in love, you're always thinking the best. You're looking for the best. You keep no record of wrong because God, see, Ephesians 4.32, read that. Do you have that verse, Ephesians 4.32? You may not have it. Ephesians 4.32, it says, and be kind to one another. Watch this, tenderhearted. Everybody say tenderhearted. tenderhearted. That's how you're supposed to treat each other. Just walking in love. Forgiving one another, watch this, just as God, just as God, just, and I want you to underline that if you got to, just as God, in Christ forgave you. Now, that's a high order. If you really think about it, he's telling us, just like, just like I forgave you of your junk, then you forgive somebody that offends you of their junk. 
Somebody say, ouch. But see, when you walk in love, you don't keep no records. You don't keep no records of wrong. Oh, I remember. And we did. How many know that, that if, if, if I came to church every Sunday and I constantly just told you how bad you were, all the stuff you did, I venture out to say most of you will not keep coming back. I'm going to take a guess on that. Because the truth of the matter is God wiped the slate clean. And, and here's the thing about the beauty of our salvation he saved you knowing that after he saved you and cleaned you up, that you still was messed up. And you're still going to blow it from time to time. And yet, he still loves you. And you can go right to him and say, Father, I've sinned. I've blown it today. Lord, I had a bad day. He said, okay, confess your sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse just like you never did it. How I many you know that's a good God? Amen. And we ought to be a good people and keep no record of wrong. Walk in love. Uh, how many know the Corinthian church needed to walk in love? They were struggling with this. See, it says love bears, I'm sorry, love bears all things. We got we to close. I'm going to have to skip a couple. Love bears all things. See, I looked up the word bear. It also can be translated into covers. See, love does not seek to publicly publicize the faults of others. Oh, that's deep, isn't it? So when you walk in love, you don't, you don't, you don't publicize somebody else's faults. You, you, you cover them with love. You cover them with grace. It says love bears all things. It believes all things. You know, see, when you're walking in love, there's always an optimism about you. That you're just constantly believing that goodness is going to come. David said this in Psalm 27, 13. David said, I would have lost heart. I would have fainted unless I believed that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living See, love believes all things. You keep on believing that my day is coming. My breakthrough is coming. I know I'm coming up out of this. I know things are going to get better for me because I'm walking in love. And the Bible says faith worketh through love. And so when we walk in love and we constantly are optimistic about the fact that God is working on our behalf, as he said in his word, Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and for those who are called. Everybody say called. called. According to his purpose. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. Now, I want you to think about that. He says love never fails. In closing, Paul said this. Look at the 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 9. This will, this will bring home my point. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Now there have been some who try to teach that that is a passage that suggests that certain spiritual gifts are not in operation today, which is absolutely foolish. Because Paul continuously set order for how the gifts of the Spirit ought to be used. But what he was saying, the Apostle Paul was saying that, that until we get to our eternal state, we're going to continue, obviously, to be utilizing spiritual gifts. And we're going to be uh, believing God together, works of faith, works of all of that is going to be happening. But when the perfect has come, in other words, when Christ has come, watch this. When Christ has come, he, see, there, it will, faith will give way to sight. So there won't be any more need for faith. You hear that? When you see him, you don't have to believe what you're looking at. There he is. Hope will give way to experience. You won't have to hope anymore because you're experiencing him. But here's what he says. But love, he says, love is the greatest because love is eternal. 
Love is never going to stop. Faith, hope, all that's going to stop. Not love. He said the greatest of these is love. Is love. We got to ask ourselves some serious questions. One being, have we been walking in love? I mean, truly walking in love. And we have to come to grips with the reality that if he said love is the greatest, after all is said and done, love is still going to be kicking. How much we need to really pursue love. Paul says, pursue love. He said, desire spiritual gifts. He says, do all the things that you do. Do it right, but do it with love. Pursue it, pursue it, pursue it, pursue it, pursue it. It's the thing that is, is going to make us to be a church that bring glory and honor to God and, and, and that we will bring people into his kingdom when we walk in the spirit. I want to challenge you today as we have been preaching on this all month on love. My prayer, and I hope that this has just not been another sermon series that you've checked off on the box, that you've really said, Pastor, I've really taken a look at my life and I'm going to do some things that's going to change. I'm going to walk in this love you've been preaching about. I'm really going to walk in there. And pastor, you're going to see the difference. You're going to see the difference in how I treat my wife. Come on, somebody. It needs to start at home. Charity starts at home. It's how we deal with one another and the image that we project on the outside. Because the Bible says that we're the light of the world. You've got to be known for love out there too. And I believe in so doing that. We'll bring glory and honor to our God. And so we would advance his kingdom. Every eye is closed, every head is bowed. If you listen this morning, we never like to close the service without giving every person an opportunity to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Everything that we do, everything that's been said here today, has been a description of God's love for us. He, he says he loves us with an everlasting love. He loves us with an everlasting grace. God's love is permanent. And God died for you. If you're sitting here this morning and, and you can't say for certain, Pastor, I'm not sure where I'll go when I die. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm not sure. But today you want to know it. You can know it right here. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. You will be saved. That's Jesus did all the work for you. All you need to do is accept his free gift, embrace his love, and experience eternal life. Jesus loves you so much that he came, he died, he suffered on that cross. And I don't, I want to see every person that's sitting in this room, I want you to be there. Just be there. And if you know in your heart right now, you know where you are. If you're not there, then just slip your hand up and make this the day that your life will never be the same. Make it the day that your life will forever change. Forever, forever, forever. You say, Pastor, today I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of living life my own way. I'm ready to surrender to you today, Lord Jesus. I, I want to accept this great love that Pastor Bill has been talking about. I want this badly. If that's you, slip up your hand. I just want to pray with you. Amen. I see that one hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is there another? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I see that second hand. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're saying, I want to give it over to him. I want to give my life to him. I want to serve him. Today is your day. Today is your day. Is there one other? Is there another hand? Hallelujah, hallelujah. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For those who slip your hand up, I just want you to come up to this altar. and going to Just come up. Everybody that Jesus ever called, he called publicly. Folks, come on. Give God a praise. Hallelujah. Come on, give God praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. This is why we do what we do. The Holy Spirit knows 
He knows your heart. He knows where you are. And there is grace for you, though. And your life will never, ever be the same. You must realize that this is a profound moment. And, we're, and, and, the, and the message today, when you walk out of here, is I'm not looking back. I'm not looking back. I'm walking into his love. Now it's permanent. God's love is permanent. He loves you, each and every one of you. He loves you with incredible grace, with incredible love. And when we say this prayer, you need to understand that every sin that you, I don't know, and, and listen, and, and people will always try to remind you of what you were in the past. But you need to let them know that if any man who is in Christ is a new creature, it's over, it's gone, it's done. Nobody cares, I don't even care what you did. Nobody cares because it's under the blood. Today, it's under the blood. It's under the blood. So you walk with a sense of newness. You walk with a sense of joy. And you walk with your head up knowing that your God has forgiven you. He says, if you come, and that's what you're doing this week. He says, I'll put a new heart in you. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a future. I will give you a hope. I will set you on a course for success. I will make you all over again. That's love. And he sent me here today to tell you how much he loves you. You've been running, but it's over. You've been running, but it's over. It's over. Jesus won. Salvation won. You can't outrun God's love. You can't outrun God's love. Stretch your hands this morning. Stretch your hands. I want you to repeat after me. You ready to give your life to Jesus? Repeat after me, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Forgive me, Lord, of all of my sins. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm turning my life over to you. Take my life, Lord. Use me for your glory. No turning back. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill me right now. In the name of Jesus, I accept the gift of eternal life. I'm yours now and forever. In Jesus' name. Come on, give God a praise.